Hello, listening in Spain. Whoever you are, please let us know. We'd love to know who's listening. And any other foreign country. I can't pronounce a lot of them. But we have many people listening throughout the world now. just want you to know that. My prayer is over the next year or so, or even less, there will even be more people listening in person from our community. I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 26. From that time, Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But He turned and said to Peter, Get behind Me, Satan! You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what profit is it a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So, word of God for the people of God. Man, you may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke a message to you called Church Up. I began to look after that and see who all has used that phrase, and I find very, very few. Maybe two different other churches that I found that even put anything online. And one of them is a place where it says we church up once a month by opening up household goods, furniture, clothing, a hot meal, food to the needy families in our community. And that's what they do. They call that churching up or church up. The way I use it, and the way I hope you begin to adopt this phrase, is as a verb. That it means you are actually churching up, being the church of God, of Jesus Christ, and not just saying you belong to one, but you're actively living it out. Now, the reason I say that is because if we're going to church up, we need to know what we're doing. Right? It makes sense. It is a verb in my mind, and it's a phrase that I think we as a church could use and use it very, very well. Now you might say, but nobody else would know what we're talking about. Well, something has to start somewhere, doesn't it? Why not here? And in the future, if it grows a little bit, I've already reserved the website. So it would be something you could share. I would like for us to make it a household phrase. To start here and say, we did that. That came from us. And they're going to go, you Milbert? No, come on. But wouldn't that be an amazing 
to know that we started a movement of God in this world where people are actually doing that. And, and I bet they would mess up what church up means. Because we had to learn it and are learning it for ourselves. But today, let's try it on for size, alright? Let's say, and here's how you say it. I'm going to church up. So can you say, I'm going to church up? Pretty easy, right? Or, are you going to church up? You can say, hey, are you going to church up? That's a better question for someone because they'll say, you go ahead and do that church up thing. But if you ask them, they're going to say, I don't even know what that means. And your opportunity to say that is, well, guess what? Nobody else knew until our church started doing it what that phrase means. But the true church of Jesus Christ has been churching up for a long time. Truly has. It's nothing new. It's just a way to say it, to catch it, and communicate it. It's kind of catchy. And I I didn't really plan on going a little further with it until my wife made a post on Facebook. And it was when the ship came in a couple weeks ago. Yes, our ship came in. Amen. Whoa, that's, that would be a sermon. Our ship has come in. That would be great. I just thought of that. I like that. But um, And it came, and my wife took a picture of it, posted it on Facebook, and said, churching up right now. People in the community are already coming to look at it. Wanted to know what's going on at this church. Just because of that. Now, if someone says, well, what are you guys doing? You're going to go, well, we're, uh, um, we're putting a ship in. Not, well, it's for kids, you know. Not, you know, and you, and you don't know what to say. It's going to lose the momentum. You're going to say we're churching up, huh? It means we're actively loving people where they are instead of them coming to us. That's all it means. Loving people with the love of Jesus where they are in their moment of need or in that moment as they are. Not expecting anything from them. Not anticipating. Just loving because God loved us first and said go. And so that's what churching up basically means. I have no other way to say that but loving people where they are, as they are, because God loved us first. And that's all the church has ever been asked to do. In John, First John it says, see how they love one another. That is a fact. Christians are known by their love. Not by their rallies, but by their love for one another and love for their community and people in it. And that is something I'm hoping not only can we say, I'm going to church up and are you going to church up, but I actually am churching up. And I think there's levels of that. I'm not going to get into all that because it's a new phrase. But I will say this, that over the next two Sundays, we'll have church up sermon three and four to help us grasp a hold of what that means. And then we'll see where God moves us from there. The Apostle Paul tells us something, and I really like how God is so knit together in the Scripture that one thing, when you put the piece together with another thing, and another thing ties in, it all fits in, and you go, wow, I didn't catch that. But the passage I read from Isaiah said, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And then when you tie that in with Romans chapter 11 where it says this, Oh, the depth 
of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. In other words, you can't tell what God's doing. That finding out, you can't find out God what He's doing. It means untraceable footsteps. That's what that phrase means. That you can't see how He did it. It just happened. And you can't figure out how He got there. He just showed up. You can't trace His footprints. For who has known the mind of the Lord? This continued in verse 34. Or who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him and it shall be repaid to Him? Verse 36. And this verse will just grab a hold of you if it does. Me. And you'll just go, oh, that's powerful. He says in verse 36, Romans 11. One you may want to keep in store. For of Him, and that's God, and through Him, and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. And in Greek, the two... Or sorry, of, through, and to are kind of fun to say. It's ek ek ace dia. Ek ek ace dia. That's to, through, and from in the Greek. It almost sounds like Paul was trying to catch them with their own language to understand God better. But God is, all things are of God, they are through Him, and they are to Him. And what that means is God created it all. That all things exist because of Him. They start with Him and they come through Him and it all flows back to Him. And, And we miss this when we start thinking of things differently about God and ourselves and life. And what God does is He puts something in motion. Remember that verse in Isaiah I read just a few moments ago. My word goes out and it will not come back. It will do what I sent it to do. It will get it done. Because God sent it forth, it has to happen. So it flows out and it returns to Him, but it doesn't return the way He sent it. It does something, and that something that it does brings the glory back to God. So it flows out of God into the world, doing what His Word does, transforming, revolutionizing what it affects and touches, and that comes back to God, transformed, giving praise. So this flow is out of God, into the world, and back to God. You came out of God into the world. And He wants to be His Word through you to accomplish through you and in the world certain things. And He wants you to do that and flow the praise back to Him. You might say, well, that sounds all nice and good, but what does that mean for me? Right? Can you give me some spokes on that wheel? Yes, I can. As a matter of fact, next Sunday it'll be tangible, concrete stuff you can do. But right now I'm going to be specific. The things that God has asked you to do, you can do. The God, what God has created you to do, you can do. You may not know what it is, but God does. And He put you on earth for a purpose. As Mark Twain said, there are two of the greatest days in your life. The number one day is to know that you were put on earth. The day you were born is the first greatest day. And the second day is to find out why. Why did God put me here? What's He going to use with me? 
Why is my place on earth now instead of years ago or in the future? Why in this circumstance? Why this environment? Why me? Why now? When you know that, you can act in that with confidence because you know God set it up. And that's a powerful thing for anybody to know that you came from God for a purpose and He's going to get it done through you. No matter what you think of yourself or your ability, God says, I can use you. And I will, if you let me. If you'll be a yielded vessel. And that's why, verse, 12, uh, verse 1 in chapter 12, the very next verse says, Therefore it's reasonable to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Because if you're out there for a purpose for God, it's a good idea, then it's very reasonable in Paul's mind and in mine that you would present yourself as a living sacrifice to do the work God asked you to do. Created you for. And then, when you do that, you're not conformed to the world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind about how you see your purpose because of what God did in you. And what God does through you, your mind is renewed, brand new, and you'll be able to prove the will of God because you're doing it. Because you're flowing it back to God. All things came from Him and go back to Him. And we miss this, then we miss a great tenet of being the church, of rising up, and agreeing with what God has said His intentions are with you and me. So we go back to the fact that everything goes to God. Goes back to God like a flow, like a river. I liken it to a glacier because sometimes you can't see a glacier moving, but it still does great work. I don't think you want to stop the restrictions which hinder. And I don't think you want to prevent others from receiving the flow of God. But if you're not doing the work of God that He's created you to do, you are. When God shows you how He can use you, use you in a moment, it's very humbling. When God shows up, everything changes in your perspective. What you used to think changes and you agree with God. And whatever disagreed, you go, well, you know, I just didn't understand at the moment. I wasn't listening for God. So today's text is really a powerful text. Jesus has been confessed by Peter as the Christ, the rock. And Jesus says to Peter, you're no longer Cephas, but Peter, Petra. You're the rock. and Build my church. And the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. And He gives him a promise that whatever He binds on earth, He'll bind in heaven. Whatever He looses on earth, He'll be loosed in heaven. And I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say the sin of death and life, but the kingdom of heaven. The church is going to hold the keys. And the church has got some work to do to hold the keys responsibly. When they church up, we do. And so, when He tells Peter that, at that point... He has established who He is. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who was to come. 
and redeem the world. At that moment, it says that Jesus began to describe his death, crucifixion, and his suffering. And they did not understand yet what Jesus was talking about. Better yet, I don't think they wanted to. And I'm going to give you a good picture of what this looks like in their lives at that time. It has been almost three years or maybe a little longer that they've been with Jesus and Jesus has this huge following. So much so that He can't go out in public because people see Him and find Him and throng to Him. Very, very well known. Like famous. And so they're riding His coattails, if you will. And whatever Jesus is building, whatever He's going to be, the disciples want a part of it. From Judas the hungry money guy, all the way up to Peter, the guy who uh, walked on water with Jesus. They all want a part of what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus begins to talk about how He's going to suffer in Jerusalem and then be killed and raised the third day. Now, don't miss this, because if you miss this, you're going to miss a great message i got coming up. It says He's going to suffer on a chief priest and scribes and be killed. That's what they hear. They don't hear that last phrase, and be raised the third day. They don't hear that. They hear, He's going to suffer and die. But if He does that, because we can't hear someone raising from the dead, this doesn't fit our idea of what makes sense, then if He does that and dies... We have no leader. The following ends and we go back to fishing boats and tax collecting and our other things we used to do in our former lives. And we don't want that. We want what He has and what He's doing, what He's brought to our life because we're a part of His entourage. If He leaves, we got nothing. This is how they thought. And it's true um, that for the most part, if someone passes away... Their followers can't follow that person. It makes a lot of sense the way it appeared to the disciples when Jesus spoke this. You see, the disciples had dreams. They had thoughts. And you might remember where James and John come up to them and say, can we sit on the right hand and the left side of your kingdom? They're not talking about a future kingdom like we think about when we think of Jesus. They're talking about the one He's building at that moment. With all the people following, that He's probably going to have armies and a nation and wealth. Can we sit it right and left? That's what they ask Him based on what they've seen. The feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, the healing. This man is going to be great. Already is. And we want to be right next to Him in this greatness. Amen. That's their dreams. Mm-hmm. And so when He says, I'm going to be brought up before the people in Jerusalem, all the scribes and priests and elders and suffer, and they're going to kill me, I want to show you what Peter does. I've asked for a volunteer so you can see how this works. Is my volunteer ready? This is real simple stuff, but I want to show you what happens here. And I think you need to see this visually, so I've asked if Lincoln would come. All right, Lincoln, we're, we're with the crowd right now, right? 
and you're uh, you're going to be uh, Peter, okay? And I'll be Jesus, so I can show you because I know what Jesus does and what Peter does is so simple. All you do is go like this. Peter says, "Come here, Jesus," and he and just what Peter? What? What? And he says in the scripture. Stay right there. Yeah. He says, far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. Never, Lord. Never. This, this will not happen. And Jesus goes like this. He's, they're talking like this. And He turns His back on Him and goes back to the crowd and says, Get behind me, Satan. You have nothing but your own concerns. And you're not thinking about God. And he turns his back on him and he says it and walks back to the crowd and begins to discourse on denying yourself. Thank you. We see what he did, right? Peter pulled him aside. And isn't that secretive? What the enemy tries to do is pull you aside and say, oh, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do what God has said you're going to do. You can't possibly walk in that. And Peter has an investment in Jesus being alive. He's got his dreams and hopes. No, this far be it from you to die. Maybe one of those guys, but Jesus, not you. And Peter still... And, and, and isn't this ironic? He's just said, you're the Christ, the living God. The most holy one of all. The Redeemer. And, and now he's rebuking Jesus privately so as not to embarrass the leader, right? And that's when Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are mindful of the things of God. Not the things of God, but the things of men. And the word mindful there is the Greek word phreneo. Does that weigh a lot of power when you hear that word? You go, wow, yeah, that changes everything. He was Freneo. Let me tell you, <laughs> I'm being silly, what Freneo means. Freneo means selfish interests. Thinking of self before something else. And so he says, you are thinking of yourself rather than the things of God. Things that you want, but not what God wants. Let me put it to you this way. For Peter to have agreed with Jesus to die, he would have had to have let go of his own agenda. It would have ruined all of Peter's selfish plans had he agreed with Jesus. But Peter had these ideas, just like the other disciples, and they're going, no, 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 we'll, we'll die with you. No, they won't. Peter, <laughs> I don't know if this is even appropriate at this point, but Peter had two things in his life that were common. As a fisherman, to make a living, he had to sell fish. But every time he spoke... It showed even if he didn't have it in his hand, he was selfish. Mm -hmm. That's right. He was. And he, in that moment, 
showed that his agenda was not God's. Do you see how quick Jesus picked up on that? And that's when Jesus says, it's when he turns from Peter, he's back to the disciples now, with Peter behind him, as I showed you. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Who do you think he's talking to? Anyone anyone who desires to follow Him. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to deny your own dreams and hopes. He's not just talking to Peter. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. If I desire to come after Him, I have to deny myself. And that phrase, deny yourself, it kind of loses itself in its context. So I'm going to put it into the context of what it means. It means... You lose your agenda, your dreams, and your hopes, and your plans, and you say, Jesus, whatever you say. I know what I want for me. I know what I want for my family. I know all that. But if you say different, that different things are going to happen for that, I'm on board with you. I agree with you. God is trying to get us into agreement with Him. To let go of whatever ideas, dreams, hopes, or agendas we might carry into our relationship and let go of it and agree with what God says to us. And he says, For whoever desires to save his life, which is what Peter was trying to do, was preserve his idea of what his life is. Why would Peter think any differently than the generations of fishermen before that this is my life, this is the box that it fits in, and this is how the 80 or less years or 90 or less or 100 years I get, maybe in case of John the Apostle, we don't know how long, 100 and some. In case of those years, and this is it. All my hopes and dreams fit in that box. Fishermen live their lives by the Sea of Galilee and they'll die by the Sea of Galilee selling fish till the day they die or until they're no longer able. And that is their life. That's what they see. And Jesus says, you've got to lose your own perception of what things look like for you. To come with a blank slate of your life and not tell Jesus, well, I have this to do. I got to bury my dead. I got to plow the field. I have to test oxen. I have a woman I want to marry. You know, all these things that they gave as excuses for why they couldn't follow Jesus. He says, Make it a blank slate. Let me write your truth rather than you trying to tell me what it is because Jesus is the truth. Jesus spoke truth to the disciples. I'm going to die. By the hands of the chief priests, scribes, and elders. And Peter says, no. And immediately, in his spirit, Jesus says, that's not God's desire that I don't. That's Peter's. As soon as you can delineate and differentiate between your desire for you and God's, you can begin to walk in holiness and humbleness with your God. And he says, whoever desires to save his life, that dream of what he thinks his life's supposed to look like, the American dream, or whatever you have for your life, if you'll that life, if you'll lose that, rather than try to save it, 
for the name of Jesus, you'll find your true life, your purpose, why God placed you here. And then he says it this way, for what profit would it be for you if you gain that dream but lose your soul? At what price do we hang on to that stuff? And what are you going to give in exchange for your soul? I know what I'm going to give. Whatever Jesus says, He owns it. I don't own any of this stuff anyway. He's letting me be a servitude of it. But it's not mine. It may be my house that I live in, but it's not mine. It's His. I just get a chance to use it for a while. Because a hundred years from now, I won't need it. I promise, I won't need it a hundred years from now. And it won't need me. And I'm okay with that. So here's what we need to do today. We need to ask God to dismantle our self-preserving attitudes. That we're preserving our dream, our hopes, our life. Because it's a hindrance in your life to hearing God properly or following Him faithfully. Wait a minute, don't miss this. Romans again, back to the last verse. Everything comes from God. God sent into the world to do what God wants and then it goes back to Him. If everything is to God, then don't you want to stop the restrictions in you which hinder you, others, and their lives from that flow that God has asked you to walk in. My wife and I had to learn this the hard way. I want to tell you this story. I think it happened just so we could communicate. It doesn't just happen on one level or another. It happens to everybody. And I'm not saying we're one level or another. I'm saying it happens to everybody. The playing field is level in the kingdom of God. If you don't know that yet, you haven't accessed the kingdom of God yet. It's a level playing field. We're all under sin and all under grace. So, we have a, a place down in Gatlinburg called a timeshare. We get to use it every other year for a week. And um, when you go for your week, they have what's called an owner's meeting. Which you meet with an individual from Westgate and they try to tell you that you need more vacation. And that you need more time away. And that what you have isn't quite enough to fulfill that. And they have the answers for you. Very, very nice sales pitch. And on Thursday, we spent six hours there before we finally came to a deal which we were not satisfied with. Totally unrestful. Supposed to be a nice time. But there was the sales pitch. And we had said yes, and we just weren't comfortable. We talked about it, found out we were in a 10-day window where we could keep what we have and not do that. And yesterday morning... We felt like we needed to let it go, but we realized something. In this whole process, we never asked God what He wanted. We let other people tell us what we needed, how we could make profit, we wanted to rent it out. All these nice things that the world offers, but we never said, God, but what do you say? And because we didn't ask God, we were unrestful. We weren't in the flow of the Holy Spirit of God. 
And so we called the guy we was working with and said, listen, we don't know whether we want, we think we want to turn this new deal back in and go back to our old deal. And he said, well, what's the problem? And I told him and, and he said, well, let me see if I can get you a better price on it. Which we knew they would because they didn't want to lose their sale. And then I said to him, well, my wife suggested, and husbands listen to your wives when they say this, why don't we pray before we do anything else? And so I told the guy on the phone, we're going to pray. You do what you need to do on your end and we're going to pray and we'll call you back. And my attitude was like Peter's. Oh no, they're not going to do that to me. They're not going to take advantage of me. I work too hard for all this stuff. No, no, no. They're not. I bet I can find a better deal. Some all this worldly stuff, all about money, all about what we could do. And sitting in the van, we prayed. And the first things out of my mouth, God, forgive us. I repent. If you're our Lord, then we need to act like it. Choked the words out. And talked to the man again. And my my voice was radically different. And my tone was radically different. It was something like this. You know, I'm really sorry about all this. But we want to honor God and we weren't doing that. And we hurt other people and took their time in the process. And we just can't do this. And do you know what? That's what God wants each of us to say. God, I haven't honored you in this area of my life. I've tried to tell you how you need to bless it. How my life needs to be. But the Scripture says everything flows to God. From God, through the world to God. And if the thing doesn't start with God that you're talking about, it's probably not from Him. If it's not bathed in your prayers and you're seeking God on it, it probably didn't start there. And so we had to get God back in the equation. And after that, we had favor and they were willing to work with us whatever we needed to do to make it right. And they understood. Do you understand? Peter just said, this is who you are. And in the next moment, he didn't acknowledge him as that. It's so easy to do when the world pulls us away from what we know God wants us to do to what we think is right for us. That's why Jesus says, deny yourself. And we forget because the world doesn't tell us to. It doesn't tell us how. But everything keeps going back to God. But why do we as a church stop doing that? As individuals and as a church collectively, this church should be on its knees before God, repenting, saying, God, wherever we haven't listened and followed You, forgive us. Please. We want to be humble, obedient, whatever You say. It may make us uncomfortable, but it's not about us. It's going back to You. It's not about me preserving me and making me comfortable. It's about doing what God asks because 
That's how he set it up. And I'm okay with that. And so our opportunity in front of us now is at hand. Are you an active part of this new movement? Are you willing? I know you're able to church up. If you are, then join me and the rest of us here on board. And you may have to start with the same prayer I prayed yesterday morning. God, I repent. Forgive me. Get me back on Your page. Help me agree with You. Not the world or my own hopes and dreams, but what You say is true. This is God's way higher than ours. And it will not return to Him without doing what He said it would if you just be a part of the movement. I said movement. And I don't mean grassroots movement. I mean the flow of God's Word doing its work in the world. Be it glacier, stream, forest fire, whatever kind of flow it is that gets it back to God for praise and glory. This is what I'm inviting you into. And I've shared with you just now how to do it. Now say it one more time and close. Pray. God, I repent for not doing it Your way, for doing it my way, thinking I knew how to do it, for seeking my own comfort and desires rather than Yours, for not churching up, but being selfish up. For not being concerned of the things of God, but the concerns of my own. Let me tell you something. Here's how this works. When you do that, and everybody does that on the same time, you'll come into agreement. In that moment, yesterday morning, after that prayer, my wife and I looked at each other and said, yes, this is how we live. By the principles of God, not what people try to tell us. Either you live by the principles of God and your church up, or you're doing it your own way. And that's why we repent. And say, God, forgive us and move us the right way. I think you can do that. Agree? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, it's not always easy to, uh, to come before You and say, I repent. I'm sorry I was wrong. I've been selfishly motivated because it means we're being vulnerable. <laughs> you already know. You already know. You already were just waiting for us to come home back to You and humbly so You could exalt us with Your blessing and Your grace on a humble, obedient child who says, Father, I need Your ways because mine don't work. And we don't do that, Heavenly Father. Our lives falter and it damages the world and people in our lives. So help us to come humbly before You now. I pray this in Your Son's name. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Lion of Judah, and the Lamb of God. Heavenly Father, may You so bind on earth what's bound here today and loose what's been loosed and establish Your Word here. Amen.